Welcome to Frig Friday, featuring Sigrid Unset's Kristen Lovren's Daughter, read by Michelle Hammond, sponsored by Gal's Guide. Kristen Lovren's Daughter by Sigrid Unset Winner of the Nobel Prize in Literature Book One The Wreath Part Three Lovrens Bjorgolfsson Chapter Six The betrothal celebration was postponed for various reasons. It didn't take place until the New Year, but Lovrens agreed that the wedding needn't be delayed because of that. It would be held immediately following Mechelmas as had been originally agreed. So Kristen continued to live at Jurengard as Erland's properly acknowledged betrothed. Along with her mother, she went over the dowry that had been assembled for her and strove to add even more to the piles of bed linen and clothing, for Lovrens wanted nothing to be spared now that he had given his daughter to the master of Husaby. Kristen was surprised that she didn't feel happier. But in spite of all the activity, there was no real joy at Jurengard. Her parents missed Ulfhild deeply. She knew that. But she also realized that this was not the only reason they were so silent and somber. They were kind to her, but when they spoke of her betrothed, she could see that they had to force themselves to do so, and they did it to please her and to be kind. They did not do it out of any desire to speak of Erlon themselves. They were not any happier about the husband she had chosen now that they had come to know the man. Erland was also silent and reserved during the brief time he was at Jurengard for the betrothal celebration, and it could not have been any other way, thought Kristen. He knew that her father had only reluctantly given his consent. Even she and Erland had hardly exchanged more than a few words alone, and it had been awkward and strange for them to sit together in full view of everyone. They had had little to talk about because they had shared so many secrets. A slight fear began to stir inside her, faint and dim, but always present, that perhaps, in some way, it might be difficult for them when they were finally married, because they had been too close to each other in the beginning, and then had been separated for far too long. But she tried to push this thought aside. Erland was supposed to stay with them at Jurengar during Whitsuntide, he had asked Lovrens and Ronfred whether they would have any objections if he came to visit, and Lovrens had hesitated a moment, but then replied that he would welcome his son-in-law. Erlan could be assured of that. During Whitsuntide they would be able to take walks together, and they would talk as they had in the old days. Then it would surely go away, this shadow that had come between them during the long separation, when they had each struggled and borne everything alone. At Easter, Simon Andresen and his wife were at Formo. Kristen saw them in church. Simon's wife was standing quite close to her. She must be older than he is, thought Kristen, almost thirty. Fru Halfred was short and delicate and thin, but she had an unusually lovely face. Even the pale brown color of her hair, which billowed from under her wimple, seemed so gentle, and her eyes were full of gentleness, too. They were large and gray, with a sprinkling of tiny glints of gold. 
Every line of her face was fine and pure, but her complexion was a pale gray, and when she opened her mouth it was apparent that she did not have good teeth. She didn't look strong, and she was also said to be sickly. Kristen had heard that she had already miscarried several times. She wondered how Simon felt about this wife. The people from Urengard and from Formo had greeted each other across the church hill several times, though they had not spoken. But on the third day Simon came to church without his wife. Then he came over to Lavrens, and they talked together for a while. Kristen heard them mention Ulfhild. Afterward he spoke to Ronfrid. Romborg, who was with her mother, said quite loudly, I remember you. I know who you are. Simon lifted up the child and swung her around. It was nice of you not to forget me, Romborg. Kristen, he greeted only from a short distance away, and her parents didn't mention the meeting again. But Kristen thought a great deal about it. It had been strange to see Simon Dara as a married man. So many things from the past came alive once more. She remembered her own blind and submissive love for Erland back then. Now it was somehow different. She wondered whether Simon had told his wife how the two of them had parted. But she knew that he wouldn't have done that. For my father's sake, she thought with derision. She felt so oddly destitute to be still unmarried and living at home with her parents. But they were betrothed. Simon could see that they had forced their will through. Whatever else Erland might have done, he had remained faithful to her, and she had been neither reckless nor frivolous. One evening in early spring, Ronfrid wanted to send a message south to old Gunhild, the widow who sewed fur pelts. The evening was so beautiful that Kristen asked if she could go. In the end, she was given permission because all the men were busy. It was after sunset, and a fine white frosty mist rose up toward the golden-green sky. With every hoofbeat, Kristen heard the brittle sound of evening ice as it shattered and then dispersed with a rattling sound. But in the twilight, from the thickets along the road, came a jubilant birdsong, soft and full of spring. Kristen rode briskly down the road without thinking about much of anything, simply feeling how good it was to be outside alone. She rode with her gaze fixed on the new moon, which was about to sink behind the mountain ridge on the other side of the valley. She almost fell off her horse when the animal abruptly swerved to the side and then reared up. She saw a dark body curled up at the edge of the road. At first she was afraid. The dire fear of meeting someone alone out on the road never left her, but she thought it might be a wanderer who had fallen ill. So when she had regained control of her horse, she turned around and rode back as she called out, Is anyone there? The bundle stirred a bit, and a voice said, I think it must be you, Kristen Lovren's daughter. Brother Edvin? she asked softly. She almost thought it was a phantom or some kind of deviltry that was trying to fool her. But she went over to him, and it was the old man after all. But he couldn't get up without help. My dear father, are you out here wandering at this time of year? She asked in astonishment. Praise be to God for sending you this way tonight, said the monk. Kristen noticed that he was shivering all over. I was on my way north to visit you but I could go no farther tonight. 
I almost thought it was God's will that I should lie here and die on the roads where I've roamed and slept all my life, but I would have liked to receive absolution and the last rites. And I wanted to see you again, my daughter. Kristen helped the monk up onto her horse, and then led it by the bridle as she supported him. In between his protests that she was getting her feet wet in the icy slush, he moaned softly in pain. He told her that he had been at Ayabu since Christmas. Some wealthy farmers in the village had promised during the bad year to furnish their church with new adornments. But his work had gone slowly. He had been ill during the winter. There was something wrong with his stomach that made him vomit blood, and he couldn't tolerate food. He didn't think he had long to live, so he was headed home to his cloister. He wanted to die there, among his brothers. But he had set his mind on coming north through the valley one last time, and so he had accompanied the monk from Hamar when he traveled north to become the new resident priest at the pilgrim hostel in Rolstad. From Fraun he had gone on alone. I heard that you were betrothed, he said, to that man. And then I had such a yearning to see you. I felt so anguished that our meeting in the church at the cloister should be our last. It's been weighing so heavy on my heart, Kristen, that you had strayed from the path of peace. Kristen kissed the monk's hand and said, I don't understand, Father, what I have done to deserve your willingness to show me such great love. The monk replied quietly, I have often thought, Kristen, that if it had been possible for us to meet more often, you might have become my spiritual daughter. Do you mean you would have guided me so that I turned my heart to the convent life? asked Kristen. After a pause, she went on. Sarah Eirik impressed on me that if I couldn't win my father's consent to marry Erlant, then I would have to enter a holy sisterhood and do penance for my sins. I have often prayed that you might have a yearning for the convent life, said Brother Edvin, but not since you told me what you know. I wish that you could have come to God with your wreath, Kristen. When they reached Urengard, Brother Edvin had to be carried inside and put to bed. They put him in the old winter house, in the hearth room, and made him as comfortable as they could. He was very ill, and Sarah Eirik came and tended to him with medicaments for his body and soul. But the priest said that the old man was suffering from cancer, and that he didn't have long to live. Brother Edvin himself thought that when he had regained some of his strength, he would head south again and try to make it back to his cloister. Sarah Eirik told the others that he didn't believe this was likely. Everyone at Urengard felt that great peace and joy had come to them with the monk. People went in and out of the hearthroom all day long, and it was never difficult to find someone willing to keep vigil over the sick man at night. They flocked around him, as many as could find the time to sit and listen when Sarah Eirik came and read to the dying man from the holy books. And they talked with Brother Edvin about spiritual matters. And even though much of what was said was vague and obscure, as was his manner of speaking, the people seemed to draw strength and comfort for their souls, because everyone could see that Brother Edvin was filled with his love for God. But the monk also wanted to hear about everything else, 
He asked for news from the villages and wanted Lovrens to tell him about the bad year. Some people had seized upon evil counsel in that time of adversity and had sought out the sort of help that Christian men must shun. A short way into the mountains west of the valley, there was a place with great white stones that were shaped like the secret parts of human beings, and some men had fallen to sacrificing boars and cats before this monstrosity. Sarah Eirik had then taken several of the most pious and brave of the farmers out there one night, and they had smashed the stones flat. Lovrens had gone along and could testify that they were completely smeared with blood, and there were bones and the like lying all around. Up in Heidel, people had apparently made an old woman sit outside on a buried stone and recite ancient incantations on three Thursday nights in a row. One night, Kristen was sitting alone with Brother Edvin. Around midnight, he woke up and seemed to be suffering great pain. Then he asked Kristen to read to him from the book about the miracles of the Virgin Mary, which Sarah Eirik had lent to him. Kristen wasn't used to reading aloud, but she sat down on the step of the bed and put the candle next to her. She placed the book on her knees and read as best she could. After a while, she noticed that the sick man was lying in bed with his teeth clamped tight, and he had clenched his emaciated hands into fists from the pain. "'You're suffering badly, dear father,' said Kristen with dismay. "'It seems that way to me now. But I know it's because God has made me into a child again, and is tossing me up and down. I remember a time when I was small. I was four winters old, and I ran away from home and headed into the forest. I got lost and was out there for many days and nights. My mother was with the people who found me, and when she lifted me up into her arms, I remember that she bit me on the back of the neck. I thought it was because she was angry with me, but later I understood otherwise. Now I'm longing for home, away from this forest. It is written, Forsake all things and follow me. But there has been far too much here in this world that I didn't have the heart to forsake. You, father? said Kristen. I've always heard everyone say that you were a model of pure living and poverty and humility. The monk chuckled. Ah, young child, you probably think there's nothing else that entices in the world save sensual pleasure and wealth and power. I must tell you that these are small things that are found along the side of the road, but I, I have loved the roads themselves. It was not the small things of the world that I loved, but the entire world. God in his mercy allowed me to love sister poverty and sister celibacy even in my youth, and that was why I thought that with these lay sisters I could walk in safety. And so I have wandered and roamed, wishing that I could travel all the roads of the world. And my heart and my thoughts have wandered and roamed, too. I fear that I have often gone astray in my thoughts about the darkest of things. But now that's over, little Kristen. Now I want to go back to my home and put aside all my own thoughts and listen to the clear words of the guardian 
about what I should believe and think about my sins and about God's mercy. A little while later, he fell asleep. Kristen sat down near the hearth and tended the fire. But toward morning, when she was also about to doze off, Brother Edvin suddenly said to her from the bed, I'm glad, Kristen, that this matter between Erland Niklausen and you has come to a good end. Then Kristen burst into tears. We have done so much wrong to come this far, and worst of all is this gnawing at my heart that I have caused my father such great sorrow. He's not happy about this either, and yet he doesn't know. If he knew everything, then he would surely withdraw all his affection from me. Kristen, said Brother Edvin gently, don't you understand, child? that this is why you must never tell him, and why you must not cause him any more sorrow, because he would never demand penance from you. Nothing you do could ever change your father's heart toward you. A few days later, Brother Edvin was feeling so much better that he wanted to head south. Since he had set his heart on this, Lavrens had a kind of stretcher made that was hung between two horses, and in this manner he carried the sick man as far south as Lidstad. There Brother Edvin was given new horses and a new escort, and in this way he was taken as far as Hamar. There he died in the monastery of the Dominican brothers, and was buried in their church. Later the barefoot friars demanded that the body be delivered to them, because many people in the villages considered him a holy man and called him St. Evan. The farmers in the outlying districts and valleys as far north as Nidaros prayed to him, and thus there was a long dispute between the two cloisters over his body. Kristen didn't hear of this until much later, but she grieved deeply when she parted with the monk. It seemed to her that he alone knew her whole life. He had known the foolish child that she had been under her father's care, and he had known of her secret life with Erland. So he was like a clasp, she thought, which bound everything she had loved to all that now filled her heart. She was now quite cut off from the person she had been, the time when she was a maiden. Chapter 2 